All right, so uh, again, as I mentioned, this Sunday is a celebration of Palm Sunday. We're going to see why. Some of us may know why. Others may not. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. Its designation is associated with what historians and theologians often refer to as Jesus' moving towards Jerusalem with, um, and it's sometimes called the triumphal entry, which is the theme of this little two-week mini-series that we're doing as a lead into Easter. The incident, like most of the incidents that occur in the last week of our Lord's life, is, is referred to in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them take a slightly different approach, but you will be able to see them. They're, it's common. In fact, so much of the New Testament Gospels, the, the life of Christ, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will note that the vast percentage of the book and a, a significant amount of space is just devoted to the final week of the life of Jesus. A lot, a lot of it. And, and then specifically to what happens in heading right towards the cross. So with that in mind, though, I want to revisit a passage we looked at last week, John 12. And this is uh, something I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at John's account. It's just a way to reset. It says the next day, this is in your handout. You can follow along in your Bible or your Bible app. And again, I don't want to assume, presume that everyone here is uh, already made, made a decision to follow Jesus. I realize some of us are seeking. Some of us uh, were just starting our journey of faith. Uh, others of us have been following the Lord for a long time. My overt goal is to get us all thinking more clearly about how to move into these coming days. That's just being honest. All right. So the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, that is, they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, that great historic festival that was celebrated, still is today, by, by Israel and the Jewish people commemorating their deliverance miraculously from the bondage of Egyptian slavery and all of the Passover and the overlaps that have to do with the blood of the lamb and Jesus's giving of himself. It's, it's so rich. It's so multi-layered. It says that though when this group, this multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they moved outside of the town, outside of the city, and they met Jesus on the road and they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him. That's what we call this Palm Sunday. And they cried out, Hosanna, which is a joyful Aramaic expression of praise rooted in Psalm 118, carrying with it this idea of anticipated deliverance, hence its association with saving. And uh, it says, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, Jesus clearly has in mind as he seems to have always had a sense of how the scriptures that he was immersed in, the Older Testament, as we call it, and, um, and the, the words that were always on his lips were connected to and intertwined with everything he, he had come and was born to do. And so this, this significance of what is being referred to in this, in this moment symbolically, coming in on a donkey, and, and um, it, it was a connection to... A, a prophecy that had been made in the book of Zechariah. And Jesus would have been very well aware of it. In Zechariah 9.9, it said this, that rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus clearly has this in mind. Now those 
who were in Jerusalem at the time, who understood national history, were very familiar with the writings of the prophets and the significance of Jesus' decision to enter the great city of David riding on a donkey would not have been lost, that could not have been lost. They immediately would have known it was, Jesus was making a statement. His followers were making a statement. Jesus himself was connecting himself. He was making a declaration of sorts. It spoke clearly of his decision to publicly identify himself as Messiah King, the promised one. In that regard, it was, again, a declaration of majesty, of humility, of prophetic alignment. Jesus did not just do this haphazardly. There were times before when they tried to get him to declare himself Messiah or King, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't cooperate. He would leave. He would put, he would he sort of like um, make it a point to say, my hour is not yet come. But now he makes the decision to move towards the moment that he was born for. And uh, he knows what's ahead of him. Um, it would not be an exaggeration to say, again, at the outset here, that this was probably, the, well, it was. It was the greatest moment in the history of the nation of Israel. Their long-awaited king, right? The, the one that had been promised through the centuries from the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the fulfillment of so many hopes and prayers and dreams had finally come, was here before them. This promised one presenting himself, unveiling himself, revealing himself, the promise which father had handed down to son and mother had handed down to daughter with generational continuity. This moment was at hand. And the moment that the prophets said they had longed to see, hoped to see, anticipated in types and shadows was now at hand. It was being fulfilled before their very eyes. You would have thought everyone would have welcomed this moment. And yet we know that the reactions, they were mixed at best. For every sincere, uh, true believer out there waving their palms and crying out, this is the God who saves. For every, every one of those, there were at least five others who were unconvinced. If you looked outside at the crowd and those in Jerusalem and asked their opinions of Jesus, there were the cautious, the curious, the hopeful, the suspicious, the critics, the cynics, right? The offended. They would be some of the ones who would end up crying out, crucify him. All had come, all who had come to witness the event um, were not all pleased, is the point. But on this day, the, in this moment, the enthusiasts held, held sway. So the question was, what is Jesus going to do next? And what about Rome? What did they think? Well, the truth is, they probably weren't that impressed. We know that. I mean... <laughs> Rome was constantly having to deal with so-called messiahs. They, they really didn't care about what people were saying as long as they paid their taxes and no one tried to take up arms and start a revolution. The Jewish people themselves at the time had been given an unusual amount of autonomy. Again, um, part of that was because Rome felt that was the best way to deal with, with uh, they, they wanted to keep things calm as much as possible. Uh, they told the Jewish leaders at the time in Jerusalem that they could not, uh, they did not have the right to, to um, capital punishment, that Rome reserved the right to make that verdict, that judgment. And so that explains, at least in part, why when Jesus, when they decide that Jesus is guilty, P Pilate, the Roman governor, has to sign off on it. 
because they can't, that ha he has to agree to it and actually execute Jesus. So it's all, it's all intertwined together. But if you, were, if you were like a common Roman soldier and you were watching what was going on, I mean, and you were familiar with some of the great ways of Rome, you would have looked at this comparatively, I don't know how to say it, pathetic display of adulation, you know, like a donkey, uh, a ragtag band of followers from the Galilee with their northern accents freshly arrived to celebrate Passover, throwing their clothes uh, and garments like a makeshift carpet, waving palms, crying, here comes the king. It would have like, you know, who is that? Well, that's this uh, Jesus. Jesus who? Jesus, Jesus, they, they call him Jesus of Nazareth. You Nazareth? That place up north no one goes to? That one horse town? All right? At, Rome, at a Roman outpost, it was known for, <laughs> as people said, did anything good come from there? The Rome would have been unimpressed. I mean, if you, if they, look, they, they weren't threatened by it. Um, I don't think they, 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 being so accustomed to seeing, again, Rome's regal qualities, thought anything of it. And they could not appreciate the significance of what was at stake. Um, it almost would have seemed sad and laughable, maybe even a little pathetic, meager, certainly harmless. But they could not appreciate how the balance of religious power was being threatened in, in Jerusalem, how, how moves were already being made by the temple authorities to secure their power. Uh, who could have foreseen that in a week's time, in just five days, this same Jesus of Nazareth would be hung on a tree, the same one that everybody was crying out as the coming king would hang on a tree for all to see, his suffering, his pain for you, for me, his love unquenchable beyond despair, essentially a forsaken man just like hanging in midair. I mean, who could have seen it? What's more, who could foresee that Rome would ultimately be overwhelmed? This is the even more ironic, by the very one who was now being welcomed in at the outskirts of Jerusalem, who in a, again, who in a mere five days would hang so helplessly on a Roman gibbet with a crown of thorns on his head, naked and dying. Who could have ever imagined at that moment um, that it would be the Roman Empire that would vanish and the way of this Nazarene as we right now are testifying to, would continue on way after the greatest power the world had ever known would end up now as just a, a page in history with ancient ruins to testify to it. It's so amazingly stunning in, in terms of the scope that this same Jesus, who no one would have even noticed beyond a very small group of people and some fierce opponents, would ultimately turn the world upside down in the way of love and by giving his life away that so we might have it. Now, what I want to do real quick is uh, switch over to Luke's account because he includes a couple of extra details that John's account doesn't, one of which I just love and find so humorous. And so I would like us to follow along. You're sending your hand out there, Luke 19, again, verses uh, 28. Just move with me here, okay? Because what he's going to do, Luke's account gives us more details. And again, this is Palm Sunday. Uh, watch what we're told happens. I mean, Luke actually goes, be, uh, kind of uh, gives us some background detail of how the donkey that Jesus rides on as he makes his way towards the city 
of Jerusalem, which by the way, you can still see today, the Mount of Olives looking down on the ancient city. There's something powerful about this to know this is exactly what happened. You get to the, the Mount of Olivet, Mount of Olives, you come into the Valley of the Kidron up to the gates of Jerusalem. You can still see it. The group had met Jesus on the outskirts. Jesus is making his way to the city. But before he does that, he knows he's got it in his mind that he needs to get a donkey because he's connecting himself to the promise of Zechariah 9. He has an intentional way he's going to enter. Look what it says here. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, Mount of Olives, that he sent two of his disciples. Now, again, I've always, I've always been amused by this, saying, go into the village opposite you. Hey, guys, come here. I need you to go and get something for me. Really, what is it? I need you to go to the village, you know, that one that's not that far away, um, where as you enter, you're going to find a colt that is uh, a young donkey tied on which no one has ever sat before. And then when you go find, when you get to that donkey that's tied, I need you to loose it and bring it here. And then if anyone asks you, why are you loosing that? Then you just say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And I can imagine the two of them looking at each other and saying, that's it. That's what we do. We just, okay, let me double check. We have this right. We go to this village, right? We look for a young donkey that doesn't appear to have been ridden that's going to be tied to a post. And then if no one says anything, we just untie it, take it, and go. But if someone says, hey, what are you doing? That's not yours. We just say to them, the Lord needs this. <laughs> and, then, and then they will let us have them. So we just want to double check that. We don't need any money or anything. like. We just say, because the Lord needs him and that will do it exactly all right all right well okay i mean no disrespect with that but it's like being told let me see how we could put it this way hey guys we need a car before we head into the city <laughs> so i want you to go to the ford auto dealer in daily city you know by ceremony and i want you to get me a car now make sure it's brand new, not a used one, right? And the keys are in it, right? And just drive it back here. But if any of them say, hey, what are you doing? You can't just drive off with that Mustang, all right? You just say, the Lord needs it. And they will say, no problem, it's all yours. Now, don't try that. I had someone telling me last night, they're going to try it. I just say, the Lord has need of it. Right? I said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get any ideas. So look at verse 32. It says, so those who were sent went their way, just like Jesus said, and they found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the young donkey, the owners, there it is, said to them, hey, what are you doing? Why are you loosing, the, why are you loosing that colt? What are you doing? That's not yours. And I imagine them looking at each other. The Lord has need of it, right? <laughs> it's like, the Lord, come on. Uh, okay. You got it, right? And, I'm at, and so anyway, they bring it back to Jesus. They throw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many you know, spread their clothes on the road. And then as, as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of the disciples, they just started rejoicing, all these people, this entourage that Jesus had with him. The, the disciples are super excited because they don't see the, no one sees the cross. Everybody's seeing, this is the moment. Jesus is finally cooperating. He's making it known who we already believed he was. We've left everything behind to attach ourselves to him. Groups of people running out of the city to meet them on the road. It's just quite a parade, a celebration. All of a sudden, right, they're getting super excited. The whole multitude, it says, of the disciples began to rejoice, praise God with loud voices for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. It's a beautiful moment. Praise filled the air, and then something happens. Some of the Pharisees who had also come out to see Jesus called to him from the crowd, and they said, teacher, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They are, out, they are out of line here. They are taking this way too far. Surely you know this. They're calling, they're calling you the Messiah. They're quoting phrases, phrases that only should go to God. Praises that should only go to God. Surely you will adjust this. You will correct this. You will address this. Clearly, their emotions are getting the best of them. We, we suggest you silence them. But he answered, and he said to them, I tell you, I tell you now, that if these should keep silent, the very stones would immediately cry out, rebuke them. What is happening here is so great that if they were silent, these very rocks would cry out. Nature would break open in praise. Do you understand what, you, what, you, what I am saying? Oh, we understand. From a natural standpoint, his refusal to silence the people and his blatant audacity, his unheard of unwillingness to so clearly allow himself to be declared what to his critics he clearly was not nor ever could be sealed his fate. For the upper echelons, the temple authorities, there was nothing more to discuss. Jesus must be dealt with. This issue must be finished once and for all. In five days, it would go down. And what made it even more deliciously beautiful was that they had found an insider to turn on Jesus, one of his own. Has agreed. We've been working on him. We think we've got a real shot here. We also know that Jesus is not under any illusions. One of the things you, you'll note if you read the story and the account of what's happening is Jesus is very aware of how things are moving. That's the whole point of him coming this way. He knows exactly where he's going. He has an exact understanding of, of where it's going to end. It's the purpose for which he was born to pay for us a price that we could never pay for ourselves, to give himself away as the ultimate lamb, that all those sacrifices in the Older Testament anticipated covering the, temporarily the sins of a people, never ever able to take it away, but the perfect lamb of God, the very blood of the son himself, his life given for us that we might have life. I mean, this all the center of the gospel. But look what it says here. Now as he, and we'll leave with these two verses, look at this. He says, now as he drew near, he saw the city 
and he wept over it. I've rarely read these verses and not been moved because it's like he says, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Again, if you only knew what you were missing, and I, I, I pause, you know, I, I see this in my, I try to imagine in my mind's eye, Jesus is coming out of this moment. The crowds are in a frenzy. Everybody's excited. He's getting to the edge of the edge where he's going to start his descent down in the valley of the Kidron near the Mount of Olives. And he's looking, he can see the city and he knows what is coming. And he says, <laughs> you're, and again, you, you, do you understand what you're, and he starts to weep. Not at what's going to happen to him, but what, what they are missing. And then he makes his way. In the midst of all of that, he keeps going with, with water coming down his cheek, saying, if you only knew, you're missing your day. The peace I want to bring to you, right, is powerful. So here's a couple of things. And again, my motive is, is to help us think about how we're going to go into this week. So many people are making th their way to honor Jesus that it creates a unique dynamic that is unlike any other time of the year, in my opinion. The reason is because so many are turning to honor the death and the life of Jesus. And it creates an opportunity at a spiritual level that is, is just powerful, a dynamic so here's something I want to suggest. Number one, that our, our praise matters to Jesus. It really does. One thing that comes out here, the acknowledgement of who he is matters to him. And it changes us. It's two things. When we praise God and sing to the Lord, and we say, give our thanks and our praise and our honor to the Lord. It matters to the Lord to acknowledge who he is. And it changes us. The power of worship is that it changes us because we become like the things we worship. We become like the things we worship. That's one of the reasons why God told his people, Israel, when they were coming out of Egypt, you remember the, the Ten Commandments, right? Part of it was don't, don't, they had been, in a, they had been enslaved in a land that was filled with idolatry. There was an Egyptian God for everything. And they were coming out of that environment and God was trying to remind them that that's not who you are to be, right? And he said to them, don't create gods that you can make with your own hands and then worship them like they can somehow reflect who I am. Nothing that you can ever craft on your own can ever properly represent me. And yet alone, worship it. And, and, and he wanted to remind his people that what they worship, they became like. It's still true. It's true. We might, we might, we're modern, we're sophisticated, we're educated, right? We, but what we worship, we become dominated by. That's why praise matters. That's why worship matters. That's why this week really matters. We become like the things we worship. What we praise is enhanced in our eyes. And I think at our truest self, we were made to love God. I believe we were made to know God. I believe that at a spiritual level, praise is as natural as breathing is. That's, we were made for it. We were made to know God.
and his love. Secondly, in light of that, let's welcome him in intentionally as our king in special ways this week. Um, one way is to start by doing what we're doing right now, which is marking the moment. You know, different Christians in, in different places and different types of expressions uh, have, have what's called a Christian calendar in some places where certain times begin to prepare us for Easter, sometimes Lent in different traditions, Holy Week. Palm Sunday typically marks the beginning of what is known as Holy Week. And, in, and oftentimes that idea of Palm Sunday as a lead-in to remembering, which ultimately brings us to Good Friday and then to Easter itself, which is the moment of, of tremendous victory and promise, right? That this is designed to begin a journey of a week. In the same way that they welcomed Jesus in with palms, there's been a tradition in the Christian church of welcoming the Lord in. And, and sometimes, in some places, they'll pass out a, a little, like a piece of a palm or something to just as a way of marking uh, and sometimes they'll turn it into a cross or some type of a, uh, some way of saying, I'm beginning this, this week by marking the moment with Jesus. And I want to I create a marking point for it. Not like there's something powerful in any religious symbol of, in and of itself, but what it can sometimes do is be a reminder for us. And in fact, on your way out, what we did is, on your way out, if you, if you want to just Take one of them, they're available for anyone, as a way of marking the beginning of this week and saying, you know what? Because one of the goals would be to, to take some time and really shift the way in which we approach these coming days. Uh, I would encourage all of us to slow our pace a bit. Anyone who is sincere about following the Lord and taking advantage of this opportunity that the Lord is going to present us, I truly believe it. It is there. Uh, slow the pace a bit. Maybe take some time and intentionally reread the last week of Jesus' life and ponder it. Think about the love that God has given for us. Think about what that means. Maybe pull back on some things that we are normally so committed and intensely to. You know what? Maybe this week we're more reflective. Maybe we're a little more thoughtful and careful and prayerful. Different ways to remember. And that, of course, leads us into the Good Friday. Um, and, I, and it's a perfect opportunity to do what I want to just suggest here. And that is ponder his death which we mark and how it represents, if you notice this, the worst, think about this, the death of Jesus represents the worst of humanity, but the best of God's love. That even the vertical and the horizontal symbol reminding us that God meets us on the human plane, that what we could not get to, he does for us. And at the center of that is the giving away of his life. The idea that Jesus does for us, we could never do for ourselves, again, it was humans, humanity's worst. On the cross, there, there is in so many ways the ugliness of humanity is on display. The inhumanity of human beings to one another. The cruelty. The fact that God would allow himself to be so utterly humiliated. The fact that he would allow himself to be broken, literally bloodied, and beaten, and harmed, and abused. The worst of humanity and yet it is there also that we see the best of God's love. For John tells us in that great verse that so many of us, or more than a few of us, have memorized that God so loved this world that he, what? that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Death would not be the final word. But you would have everlasting life, the undying life of Christ, now and yet to be, that promise secured in him. Romans 5a says, but God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, almost like enemies of God, separated 
by our own willfulness and brokenness that Christ died for us. He took our place. I mean, it's an amazing thing when we think about it. And then fourthly, I'll, I'll just leave this too, is that when we go, go here, may we look to him with open eyes and open hearts and experience the peace that he longs to bring. I can't say this. This is, this is probably one of the things that mo is most motivating me um, about how some of us should be thinking about this. Because what did Jesus say? Remember, look at that. He said, the things that make for your peace. I want it. He wants to calm our hearts and minds and bring us peace. I was thinking about it because I've been, there's stuff I'm dealing with, you know, in my own self. I was getting ready to share this word and I was looking at this idea of what the Lord wants to do this week. I was wrestling with the idea of surrendering certain things that I'm struggling with to trust him. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of different things. I, you know, just be a little, I mean, I have, there are things that I'm trying to figure out just feeling responsible for our church and there are staffing and financial issues and, and things that I have to really look at to help create an environment to be responsible for helping lay out vision and just how we're supposed to be a representation of Jesus in this city. There's constant pressure going on in a number of directions. That's not even mentioning stuff that's going on in my own life, my own relationships, my own heart, right? And I was finding myself like getting really tight. And I said, Lord, I, can, I know this. You're inviting me this week into your peace. Are there areas in your life right now that are you're feeling stress in? Maybe we're afraid. It's the stuff we talked about earlier. What did we care? What are we carrying right now? Is there some stuff that we're like it is real? And we feel it. You know? What is the Lord wanting to say to us this week about his peace? What about his peace into this situation that is hard for us? Some of us are really having a hard time. We're misaligned on the inside. And it's showing up in, in, in ways. Because when, you're, when, you're, when we're messed up in our thinking process or we're feeling disconnected between how we're living our life and what we believe, that creates a dissonance. And that dissonance will show up in our physical health, our emotional well-being. It'll show up in our relationships. Wherever there is a lack of peace, right, it will show up in some way. The Lord is the author of peace. God is the God not of confusion. What is the peace that he wants to bring and where does he want to bring it? I'm really encouraging all of us to take the areas of our greatest tension and to bring them to the foot of the cross, to truly enter into this moment, and to say in our own, with our own heart, Lord, here is an area of my life that I want to bring before you. And I want to welcome your peace into it. I look at Jesus again. I've wanted to give you my peace. Right? Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God that passes human understanding. It'll keep your heart. It'll keep your mind in Christ Jesus. We welcome your peace, Lord. We welcome your peace into places of confusion. We welcome your peace in places of fear. We, we welcome your peace into places of death. We welcome your peace into our lives. We take this seriously. And the last thing I'll say is maybe the simplest one of them all, but let us not miss the moment and his song of love. I know it sounds so simple, but Jesus said to them, I wanted to do this for you, but you would not have me. I've wept. I'm, he wept. 
He wept. He said, you're missing your moment. This is your moment. Right? That's what he's saying. I, this, and, and this is the moment when I want to give you this, and you won't have me. And then I think that there are some of us, the Lord is saying, this is, this, is a, this is the time of opportunity where he wants to sing something of his love over our lives, and he wants to bring us something. But, it's, it, but listen, he waits to be welcomed. He will not force himself. It's not the way of the Lord. Because forced love is no love at all. He waits to be wanted. And he wept. But he says, you're missing your hour. This is, I'm here for you. I want to be here with you. You won't have me. That's powerful to me. Help us, Lord, to let things be. Sing your song. That's what we're going to do. In these next few days, let's, let's be open to the song of the Lord, the song of his love over our lives. Keep my eyes open, Lord. Don't let me close my eyes to the things that you want to do in and through and around me. New things, refresh things, reawaken things. Let me not miss this moment. Special one. Let's pray into it, and we'll close out. And even now, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for uh, just having a church, to be able to come together, a place where your name is loved. I thank you for all the faithfulness of those who, who allow it to be what it is, whose faithfulness and their giving makes it even possible. I thank you for the, all those who serve so beautifully, and I ask that you would be with us in this coming week. I truly do, as we seek to lay a table out with, with some type of a display of your beauty that would be life-giving. And I know that you want us to have something of your resurrection life at work in us, in, these, in, in dead zones in our lives, in places where we feel very powerless or paralyzed. I know that feeling, that feeling. I've got to want to, but I feel so weak. Lord, remember we talked about this. Your power shows up best in our weakness. I ask that you would show up out of the brokenness of the cross comes the power of resurrection. I ask that we would create room for you and not miss our moment. I ask that you would visit us with unique peace. Remind us to not clutch, but to yield, to trust. Let it be open this week, really open to the words you have for us. And when we hit that Easter moment, may there be a flow of life that goes right through us. This is what I pray in the name of Jesus. Bless our giving time and our closing song. In your name we pray. Amen, Lord.